KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Ozempic, Monjero, Wegovi. If you have type 2 diabetes, you may have heard of these drugs or even used them to try and help manage it. If not, you may have heard a celebrity talk about or read a news story about these drugs being used as a way to lose weight. We've had a number of prescription weight loss drugs out on the market for a long time, but prior to GLP-1s, we haven't seen the amount of weight loss that we see with this new class of medicines. Jason Zupek is a clinical associate professor in the Department of Pharmacy Practice at St. Joseph's University. He says it is not unusual for a medication to be used outside of its main intended use. So, you know, in medicine, right, we, we call that off-label prescribing. So, you know, using a medication for a function that's not FDA approved. I'm Matt Leon, and today on KYW News Radio In-Depth, we take a look at GLP-1 drugs, how they work, and what they mean for the future of weight loss. So to start, and there are multiple drugs that we're going to reference, talk about, that are kind of on the same track, but the one that led to this conversation was Ozempic, that a lot of people are using for weight loss, but this was originally developed for diabetes. Kind of give us the background what this drug's all about. Yeah, exactly, Matt. So Ozempic is one of many GLP-1 drugs out on the market now. Originally started with a different drug called Xenotide back in 2005. So this class of medications has been around for about 20 years or so. Um, and so we found that um, it works for patients with diabetes by, in part, helping the body release more of its own insulin. And so what that does, insulin draws sugar from the bloodstream into our tissues, so muscles, the fatty tissue for storage. And so it reduces those complications of diabetes, helps control those blood sugars. But the other benefit that we found with GLP-1s is they also help promote weight loss. Weight gain is a big driver for what happens behind type 2 diabetes. Uh, so just kind of generally the um, more fatty tissue we have, the more insulin resistance, meaning insulin doesn't work as well. And so what happens is we gain more weight, uh, we get more insulin resistance, and it worsens that process. So the exciting part about you know these GLP-1s being on the market is not only do they help control the blood sugars, but they help kind of reverse that process that's in part driving why diabetes even occurs. Just talk about kind of, is there any difference between shots and the pill or it's just simply the delivery system? Yeah, that's a really great question. In general, you know, it's it's really the delivery system as far as, you know, the, the medication. And there's a lot of different individual drugs in this class. You know, that first one I mentioned back in 2005, it had to be injected twice a day and you had to do it at least 30 minutes before um, meal. So it, it was kind of challenging the timing of it and multiple injections per day. It was just a little bit tough to stick to, but it was it was new, right? And it had some additional benefits that you know I'm sure we'll we'll get into in a bit as well. The challenge with the pills is that for most of the medications that are out now, the stomach will actually kind of break down that ingredient. So your body doesn't even get a chance really to use it. So for example, uh, with Azempic, the active ingredients called semaglutide. About 99% of that is broken down and not really absorbed very well. So they've had to kind of modify how the drug is delivered to get it into a pill form that would work for people. There is one currently available pill form, uh, GLP-1, that is approved called Ribelsis is the brand name. Also, it's semaglutide. It's for diabetes. But uh, again, that 
we can only get so high as far as um, the dose goes with that medication, whereas some of our injectable forms are able to achieve a higher dose of that GLP-1 medication, and that higher dose means more weight loss. So did the idea of these drugs being used, because now the reason I wanted to talk to you is there are it seems like this kind of tidal wave of people that have started that started using specifically, I think, Ozempic just for weight loss with no diabetes angle connected to it. Is this something are, are these people that just thought this would start to be a good idea, like word of mouth and, you know, well, it helped me lose weight. I've got diabetes and it should help for you. Or are there some doctors that and I don't mean this in a nefarious, but like, hey, try this because the, the same concept that uses here could help you. Where did we kind of turn the corner that it wasn't it was not just for diabetes? Gosh, yeah, that's a that's a really good question. I, I don't know of any kind of one specific event or, or thing that happened, right, where we like really turned this quarter. I suspect that, you know, when these came on the market, yeah, everybody is wondering, oh, well, how else, right, can we use these medications that would benefit patients? So, you know, in um, medicine, right, we, we call that off-label prescribing. So, you know, using a medication for a function that's not FDA approved. And for things like antibiotics, we use this all the time, right? But, you know, docs has to have to know what they're doing and know what some of those additional risks might be, right, if we're using it outside of its, you know, kind of FDA-approved indication. So I think when, you know, people kind of catch wind that, hey, you know, this is a new class of medications that can be used for weight loss and overall some, you know, pretty mild side effects. Again, for most, it's very promising. We've had a number of prescription weight loss drugs out on the market for a long time. You know, we think about like fentermine uh, and other kind of more stimulant medications. We, in, in other products, we ran into cardiovascular concerns um, and some products have been discontinued. We did have um, one medication, Lurkazarin, that was also pulled off the market where after uh, a number of years where it was on the market and, and had some pretty good data, uh, we did see an increase uh, risk of certain cancers. So sometimes, right, that safety data just makes us pull some of these agents from the market. But prior to GLP-1s, we haven't seen the amount of weight loss that we see with this new class of medicine. So that's why I think, you know, it's getting much more of this attention. And when you hear about, you know, celebrities or, you know, folks on social media, right, TikTok or, or otherwise that are you know, using these these medications and promoting them, right? People are are paying attention more. You know, I've I've seen it in the news. You know, Charles Barkley uh, talking about you know using Manjaro and Elon Musk using Wegovi and you know other celebrities, Chelsea Handler, uh, Amy Schumer, uh, Jeremy Clarkson using a number of these different products and talking about them. It's it's getting a lot of attention. So I think people are asking more. Hey, is this something right that might be beneficial for me? Which you know in itself probably isn't a bad thing. Do we know what we don't know? On the downside with this, and it seems like we've got a good idea, if you have diabetes, you take this, these are the things that could happen, these are the things that will happen, but when it comes to just taking this for weight loss, like, I've heard things like suicidal thoughts, paralyzed stomach, like, you know, this this isn't just, ah, you might be a little sleepy, like, it seems like there could be some serious things out there. Yeah, excellent question, so... You know, when I think about safety data, right, and, and new drugs that are on the market, you know, this drug class has been around for a fair amount of time. I wouldn't say it's so new where I'm telling patients, hey, wait another year or two. I'm comfortable, I think, generally with, you know, majority of things that I think we would expect. 
right, from this drug class. They all work pretty similarly, right? GLP-1 actually is a natural, um, you know, chemical in our body. And the role for GLP-1 is, one, it stimulates insulin release when we have a meal, right? So when we, um, we eat something, our stomach is going to turn it up and then release it into our small intestine, which then absorbs that meal. And that's becomes blood sugar and energy and nutrients and all those things. So GLP-1 kind of helps signal for our body that, hey, we need some more insulin. It also helps us signal that we're full. The way these medications work is um, by kind of activating that process in our body, but not being broken down so fast as um, you know our own internal GLP-1 does. Um, we also know in patients with diabetes that that natural GLP-1 signaling process doesn't work as well as it used to. So when we think about, you know, some of the, the safety concerns, these drugs have been around for a few decades. I'm pretty comfortable overall with, you know, some of the, the adverse effects. You know, the common things that we see, nausea, you know, about a third to you know, maybe a half of patients are going to have some nausea, but that also makes sense for how we know how the drug works, right? If I have a cheeseburger and I'm working on my fries, and it's sitting in my stomach much longer than it, it usually would, I'm going to feel more full. I'm going to feel more nauseous. And if my my brain's telling me, hey, I don't really need more food, right? I, nausea makes a, a bit of sense. And fortunately, for most patients, that side effect will reduce or, or go away entirely after about two weeks on a set dose. So for all of these GLP-1s, we go through a period of getting our body used to this medication. We don't just jump up to that max dose right away. We'll start with a low dose, and sometimes that low dose is even lower than the effect needed to really produce any weight loss or blood sugar benefit. Um, it's just so we can tolerate it. And then after a few weeks, depending on which version of GLP-1s we're on, we'll increase that dose via a number of steps. Some of these medications have many steps to titrate up, and some of them, we just titrate up a few steps to get to that max dose. So each time that we either start the medication or we step up in that medication, right, there might be a little bit of an adjustment period, but for most patients, that nausea actually does go away after about two weeks. For me, that's really good anticipatory guidance to give people because I don't want them to give up on this medication three days after taking it. We do see some other, um, you know, GI side effects or adverse effects, as we call them. Vomiting, which is less common, kind of a more severe, right, nausea, can see a little bit of constipation or diarrhea. Much more rarely in, say, 3% or less, we'll see gallstones or possibly pancreatitis, which is an inflammation of the pancreas. A number of drugs kind of get tagged with potentially causing pancreatitis, it's kind of tough to tell, is it drug-related or is it not? Is it the other medical conditions, that sort of thing? But it is something that, you know, we are warning providers and patients about, so something we look out for. Again, those are um, those are pretty rare. Most patients were, were looking at the nausea issue. You did mention, right, you know, a patient who, you know, is talking about a, a paralyzed stomach, and it's kind of, it's an interesting case, I think. Again, I don't, I, you know, I didn't treat that patient. I don't know their situation specifically, but one of the warnings, you know, with these medications are patients that have slow stomach emptying to begin with, that we call gastroparesis, can be common in patients with diabetes who, especially if their diabetes was uncontrolled for a long period of time, because uncontrolled diabetes can cause some nerve damage and our nerves kind of manage that stomach emptying rate. So if that patient already had some gastroparesis at baseline, of course, I would expect that the GLP-1 may worsen that. 
you know, patients with mild gastroparesis, probably not going to have any issues with it. If it's more, you know, moderate to, to severe, you know, that doc probably is going to have that conversation with that patient before they start. But of course, right, there's always the possibility that, you know, you have some condition that's not yet diagnosed, right? I've read a couple things about depression, suicide. Is that specific for this or is that kind of an offshoot you might have with any kind of drug you introduce into your system, depending on the reaction you have? Yeah, to my knowledge, that's not really a big signal that we've seen with this class of medications. You know, it's kind of one of those things where is it the medication causing it or is it people that we're treating with this medication more often have other conditions that, you know, we're seeing these things kind of come out of the woodwork. And weight loss is very tough, you know, in and of itself. And so when you're talking about patients who, if they're in a more robust program where they're at really low, you know, daily calorie intakes, right? Their uh, energy levels are lower, right? We're adding this medication. They may be on other medications as well. You know, certainly could see how some patients are going are gonna to struggle with that. Personally, I, I don't know yet whether or not it's the GLP ones that are really triggering this, or they're just kind of one piece of a very large puzzle. So you've dropped a couple of names of different drugs that fall under this GOP-1 umbrella. Ozempic was the first one we talked about. Mongero, Wegovi. Are they all basically the same ice cream, just maybe different flavors of it? I love that analogy, right? So we've got about six different injectable medications that are FDA approved right now. And two of them are just kind of higher dose versions of, of the same active ingredient. We've got one role option right now and with, you know, several others in development. And then, you know, three that just over time have been discontinued, just kind of fell out of favor. By and large, right, our, our GLP-1s are kind of different flavors of ice cream. You know, of course, I'll argue that some ice cream flavors are, are better than others, right? So the other consideration that we make when choosing these meds, you know, first is does it have the most, you know, robust either weight loss or glucose lowering? The other thing we consider is how you have to take that. So some of these injectables nowadays anyways are either once a day, every day, or once a week. And some of them, you know, you have to kind of put the needle on yourself and you can actually adjust your dose based on your your doctor's orders. Or some of them are auto injectors where essentially you just take the cap off, the dose is already set, and you pretty much just kind of stick it to your stomach and the device takes care of the injection on its own. And then you throw it away and you're done with it. So, you know, I think we're looking at, you know, kind of what's what's the best product for that patient. And some of that is going to be a matter of, you know, convenience and how easily can you do those injections. We need to take a break. We will have more with Jason Zupek right after this. This is KYW News Radio In-Depth. And we are back on KYW News Radio In-Depth, continuing our conversation with Jason Zupek, Clinical Associate Professor in St. Joseph's University's Department of Pharmacy Practice. When we're looking at these strictly through the weight loss window, give us some context. Do we have good data on how much people lose? And once again, when they're not with, not if they're dealing with diabetes or anything, but just as this has started to just look at it from a from losing weight, like how much are we talking here? So I, I'm going to give it kind of the ice cream sandwich here. I'll say, right, the positive here is that these GOP-1s, we're seeing the most weight loss from medication, right, that we've really ever seen. But the realistic side of me, right, was to tell, tell folks, hey, here's really, you know, what you might expect. So the new oral version of the Exembic product ingredient called semaglutide, what they're testing is a 
higher dose oral version, right? So the, the diabetes pill form Rebelsis goes up to 14 milligrams. The one that's in phase three trials, so it's not yet approved, but this phase three trials are kind of like the final round of clinical trials that are done before a drug, hopefully, right, gets approved by the FDA. There was a study that was just published in June called Oasis 1, and that study examined semaglutide 25 or 50 milligrams for patients who were overweight or obese and did not have type 2 diabetes. They did a separate study for folks with diabetes. These patients were around 50 years old. Um, three quarters of them were female. Three quarters of them were white, 11% Asian, 6% black, 9% other, most of them non-Hispanic. Uh, the average BMI or body mass index was 37, 38. So, you know, these are folks who we would call that kind of class two obesity. What they tested was semaglutide 50 milligrams versus a placebo that didn't have any active drug in it. And they did that for 68 weeks. And they were also given some lifestyle coaching. So once a month, they met with a nutritionist or other coach that would encourage them to you know, optimize their lifestyle for weight loss as well. And so what did they find? On average, that whole um, semaglutide group lost 15% body weight and the placebo group lost a little over 2% body weight. So again, that's that's average. And that actually is, is pretty good for weight loss on medications. But again, it's only 15%, right? So if you are categorized in the, in the class two obesity group, 15%, doesn't get you to, you know, a quote, normal classification, but it is a significant amount of weight, 15% weight loss, you might be able to come off or reduce the blood pressure medicine. If you're on insulin, you're probably reducing your insulin dose a little bit if your blood sugars are currently good. So it, it is meaningful um, for those parameters. 5% weight loss is kind of the minimum standard. Um, that's kind of what FDA, you know, requires if, if at about three months, you didn't get 5% weight loss. It's probably not meaningful enough. You know, you switch to the medication or do something different. 85% of patients who received that semaglutide 50 milligrams were able to achieve the minimum. But also, placebo group, about a quarter of patients were able to do that. So lifestyle is important here, right? It's not just taking the pill or doing the injection alone. The lifestyle has to come with it if you want to achieve the results that we saw in studies. But as we kind of go up to, you know, achieving at least 10%, 15% or, or 20% weight loss, right? A third of patients were able to achieve 20% weight loss or more. And we've not seen that um, with non-GLP-1 medications. So that's what's so exciting about this. You have some patients that are really big responders uh, to this medication class. But again, right, that means that three quarters of patients didn't achieve. Is it not crazy to think that 10, 20 years, if we continue down this track and everything, the the research and continues to, to grow, that we could get to a point where we can control weight for the most part with some sort of medication, like almost across the border, or is that too bold to think? You know, uh, looking at my crystal ball here, and my crystal ball's uh, pretty fuzzy the, far, the farther we get out. Maybe it's not crazy, right? You know, if if we would have been talking about, you know, what's what's going on right now, 20 years ago, right? Uh, I'd be shocked. You know, I'm hopeful that you know this is going to continue innovation in this area. The 
amount of focus on medication therapies in the metabolic space, right? Not just weight loss, but also cholesterol, all of these other factors, hopefully is going to drive some innovation and we might be able to kind of figure this out, right? And look for more and more robust interventions. Uh, still, our most robust intervention is metabolic surgery or, you know, we, some we'll call bariatric surgery. It's, it's still kind of the gold standard. And the issue, the main challenge really is not just getting the weight off, but keeping the weight off. So what I'm hoping to see with these GLP-1s is we get longer term studies and longer term being more like three years, seven years, 12 years, is that we see the weight stays off. Yeah, it's very possible right now that these medicines that started just as injectables, we now have some oral options and there are other new um, entities that are in the pipeline that are being worked on. Um, some new drugs, hopefully, you know, we are going to see, you know, more robust medications uh, uh, in this area. Could we have kind of an explosion of ripple effects from people eating worse because they think, well, I'm not going to have to worry about the weight so much now. And kind of the unintended consequences is we see things like blood pressure and diabetes kind of go off the charts because people aren't paying attention to things because they think, well, I can keep the weight off just by taking this pill. Is that a, maybe not now, but in the big picture, could that be a concern with all this? You know, you bring up a great point. I think it's something that, you know, we still have to be mindful of, right? When you think about weight loss, you know, total caloric intake rate really is the end game, right? It's calories in and calories out. But when we think about just overall nutrition and health, we think about, um, blood pressure, right? We think about preventing heart disease, right? There are certain diets, right, where we're getting, you know, certain nutrients and and more of them that, you know, a quote, healthier diet, whatever that might, you know, be for somebody is something that can't be ignored. Interestingly, you know, at, at least right now, you know, I find that, you know, patients that I work with in primary care setting a lot of times really prefer, hey, you know, I don't want to start a blood pressure medicine. I'd rather do the lifestyle portion. Um, to which a lot of times I have to push back and say, yeah, but your blood pressure is high right now. I really recommend that we actually add the medicine right now and work on the lifestyle over time. So I, th I think there are still really are a lot of people who would much rather improve their lifestyle rather than have to take a medication. But yeah, does that change 20 or 30 years, whatever from now, if we get to that point with the medications? Uh, you know, that's an excellent point. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.